So this morning is going to be a little interesting. This is, um, it feels like for me, the beginning of summer, like the real, real beginning of summer, you know? I feel like we who are here, we just didn't get invites to go someplace else, and that's okay, you know? It's all right, not salty. That without the rapture, we have been left behind. no, but there is something about this uh, first Sunday in July that kind of invites us into a slower pace. And I know that in the life of our church community that many of us are going to be in and out. And so this is a lovely time for um, us personally and also to collectively to lean into practices so that whether we are here or whether we are far away, yes, we know that all the space between us is holy ground, but there might be practices that actually anchor us throughout um, throughout the summer season that keep us connected to our spiritual formation. So this might be um, a season, if you are not a person who typically reads Scripture, maybe this is the season to introduce reading of Scripture into your, um, in, into your way of being like tethered to, to God. And oftentimes when people start a, like a Scripture reading uh, practice, they want to start with Genesis. <laughs> And as a person who loves Scripture, I love Scripture. I love Scripture. I recognize that not all Scripture is poetic. Not all Scripture feels accessible. Not all Scripture feels um, as though it leads to answers to questions, but sometimes just raises more questions about how we might show up in the world, and also to how God moves through the world. So while I want to encourage you maybe to take on a a practice of reading Scripture, and maybe you might begin with Genesis, because throughout the month of July, that's where we're going to mostly be finding ourselves is in this book. I would be remiss if I didn't also lean into the role of being rabbi and also preacher, basically being teacher and preacher. So that I'm not just like telling you things about passages of Scripture, I'm also unearthing things about those Scriptures. Because most of the harm that has been done in the midst of Scripture reading is whenever people take on, or church communities or people of faith take on this kind of posture of, that's just what it is. Let me say this one more time. Oftentimes where great harm can be done in the, in the tradition of reading Scripture is when it's like, but that's just, that's just what it is. So I'm not going to come with that posture of that's just what it is, because if that's the case, this passage that we're going to read today, you're going to be like, now, Lisa, I will not see you ever again. (laughs) My hope is that with every week, you will walk away knowing something new so that you um, you can approach the text knowing that you have agency to get curious. So this morning is going to be um, practice in approaching a text that is not easy. It's the appointed text for the day, Genesis chapter 22, verses 1 through 13, um, which is what is um, known to be the, the Old Testament lesson in the lectionary. So it's ascribed to this Sunday. And there was a part of me that wanted to pivot, that wanted to go with something a little more, you know, like the creation story about stars and moon and all the good stuff. 
But part of what we do in community is that we sit with things that may be challenging and we recognize our agency to ask questions. I want you to be people who are like, I'm allowed to push back. <laughs> I'm allowed to get a little bit, um, to be interested about um, this particular passage of scripture. But the posture that we're going to be curious is one in which we do no harm, we do all the good we can, and we try and seek not to injure our relationship with God. So this morning's passage is a continuation of the Abraham and Sarah story that we have um, kind of been uh, journeying through over the past couple of weeks. You can listen to the sermons of the last two weeks if you need to, because I can't tell you all the stuff. Uh, but you just need to know that this is, um, it's a moment when um, Scripture says that God tests Abraham to sacrifice his son Isaac. It is a hard passage. It is a hard passage. So here's what I want to invite us into. Um, something we say here at the Southeast Raleigh table is that we do everything from a spirit of invitation and not of instruction. I'm going to offer up a prayer. And if for some reason you're like, you know what, today is not the day that I think I can hear a hard passage of scripture, I want to give you the opportunity to recuse yourself, to take agency. Um, to situate yourself in this building or outside if you would like to um, so that you can do what is very best for you because we're going to do no harm, we're going to do all the good we can, and we're not going to injure our relationship with God. So let us pray. Lord, open our hearts and minds by the power of your Holy Spirit that as the scriptures are read and your word proclaimed, we might hear with curiosity what you say to us today. God, even in the hard places, would you keep our eyes open to see you, our ears open to hear you, our hearts open to sense you, and may you be a God who does no harm, that you who are good will do all the good, and that you will help us to stay tethered to you and to your steadfast love. This we pray, O oh God, in your strong name. Amen. Okay, are we ready to take a deep breath? Yeah. I want you to hear now these words from Genesis chapter 22, verses 1 through 13. And this is what the scripture says. After these things, God tested Abraham. And God said to him, Abraham. And he said, here I am. God said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains that I shall show you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. He cut the wood for the burnt offering and set out and went to the place in the distance that God had shown him. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place far away. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey, the boy, 
and I will go over there, we will worship, and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. So the two of them walked on together. Isaac said to his father Abraham, Father, and he said, Here I am, my son. He said, The fire and the wood are here, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God, God's self will provide the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So the two of them walked on together. When they came to the place that God had shown him, Abraham built an altar there and laid the wood in order. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to kill his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham looked up and saw a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. This is by far one of the most difficult passages of Scripture that um, I have ever preached on. Last Sunday, Seyun said as he was talking about the story of Hagar and Ishmael that it was a hard story. And then I was like, yes, Seyun, this is a hard story. (laughs) Because as I read this particular passage of Scripture from the jump, I mean literally from verse 1, the question that um, that stirs up within me is, do I know this God? Do I know this God? Because the portrayal of God in this passage seems to be a betrayal of the God that I have come to know. A God who is good and a God who is merciful, a God who is just, a God who comes with steadfast love, a God of promises and preferred futures. And now we have to encounter a God who tests. And so... (laughs) Because I might feel furious, this is always the moment as we approach Scripture that we can get curious. Do I know this God? Within the rabbinic tradition, so rabbis were the teacher of the day, oftentimes even the disciples will call Jesus a rabbi. Whenever Jesus sits down and begins to like speak with authority, Jesus is taking on the rabbinic tradition. Rabbis had this imaginative way of looking at Scripture, and they called it midrash. It was a way in which they began to, like, look at Scripture and offer up interpretation. So I want to um, start with the end in mind about this passage of Scripture. In some rabbinic traditions, it is believed that this particular passage of Scripture speaks not to a God who is fickle or not to a God who wants to be in toxic relationship with us, but a God who actually shows some level of vulnerability in covenant relationship. That God, who knows what it is to go back and forth with God's people, people who walk in the opposite direction or who have closed hands or hard hearts, 
And a God who pursues, who chases after them with goodness and mercy will follow you all the days of your life and you will dwell in the house or the goodness of God forever. That God is not removed from what it looks like to broker and to understand our fidelity to God and God's fidelity to us. So that even as we ask the question, do I know this God? In this covenant relationship, we can also ask, do we know ourselves? This passage in the rabbinic traditions is sometimes understood to be one of great trust or mutuality or understanding, brokering faithfulness. And I still want to say that doesn't necessarily make this passage of Scripture easier. It doesn't necessarily make this passage of Scripture easier. And so we're allowed to get curious, which is what I did. And so here is some ways that I want you to think about how you might look at this particular passage of Scripture or any passage of Scripture where you're like, hmm, this feels hard. The first is to understand the Hebrew tradition from whence this particular passage comes. Now, we oftentimes, I bet right now, if you were to open up your Bible or to look at your Bible app, it would probably say something about the sacrifice of Isaac, like that God commands Abraham to sacrifice Isaac. However, in the Hebrew tradition, that is not how this particular passage is framed. It is called the binding of Isaac. The language of sacrifice is not used within um, the Hebrew. Here's why that's important to note, because we have a particular relationship with how we understand sacrifice. Like this is the time of year where we keep on hearing ultimate sacrifice, ultimate sacrifice, ultimate sacrifice. And ultimate sacrifice is oftentimes attached to the death of bodies. And sometimes the death of bodies where we have to create this idea of what it looks like for those bodies to be redeemed. But that's not how it's necessarily, how it's necessarily framed. The other thing about within the Hebrew tradition is that this particular passage of Scripture is known as a text of terror. Like, we should read this passage and not take it too casually. This is hard stuff. And there are some passages of Scripture that are also known as the text of terror because they speak to, like, impossible situations, harrowing situations, difficult situations. And these texts of terror in particular, hear me, friends, are not to be thought of as being instructive or prescriptive. So much of the ways in which we talk about Scripture, we make it seem like, oh, it's instruction. Uh, no, no, no shade to veggie tales. Uh, they're lovely. But one thing about things like veggie tales is like everything always gets tied up into a neat bow. These passages of Scripture, please, is not about tying something up in a very neat, in a neat bow. Every passage of Scripture isn't meant to be thought of as being instructive or prescriptive. But they might unearth realities about terror and for us not to be terrorizing. The second thing is to understand the context. That Abraham wasn't like, oh my gosh, write this down, write this down. I'm going up the mountain. Write this down, write this down. Like where this story was like being written in real time, like, you know, that Adam was like, ooh, 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 write this down, write that, fig leaf, write this down. 
This passage of scripture was probably written like, or, 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 or uh, encapsulated beyond the oral tradition with uh, post-exilic Israel. So later on, like, you know, this is, this is at a very different, a different time of how this oral tradition had been, had been captured. And some scholars believe that um, post-exilic Israelites saw themselves as either being either um, Abraham and Isaac, that they were like the firstborn of God, and that it was a reflection of this back and forth in regards to faithfulness. That's part of the context. The other context is that child sacrifice was considered absolutely abhorrent. Abhorrent. So there is no go and do likewise attached to this passage. The third thing for us to hold on to is we sometimes approach scriptures that are challenging is how we understand or see God situationally versus how we understand God theologically. We proclaim God is good and God is love and God is just and God is merciful and God's steadfast love endures forever. These theological statements of how we understand God, the arc of who God is versus when we sometimes talk about God in just situations, which does not oftentimes reveal or reflect the fullness thereof. It's situations. And so then we can begin to ascribe things to God that do not fit within the theology of God. And even in this passage, not one word is wasted in regards to the theology. That God calls Abraham by name because we're not just like unknowns to God, but that there's an intimacy that, God respond, that Abraham responds to God, here I am, over and over again, this litany, that we can actually respond to the divine. That Isaac, as Isaac asks a question to his father the first time that he speaks, that the response that his father gives is actually a name for God, the God who will provide, which translates to Jehovah-Jireh. Last week was El Shema, or El Roy, the God who sees, or the God who hears. That as Moses, excuse me, Abraham and Isaac are making this trek up the mountain, the use of the word see or saw, see or saw, leads to provision and things getting clearer. You can take a situation or you can see the arc of the theology. Do I know this God? Do I know this God? In 2011, it was by far the hardest, um, one of the hardest years of my adult life. Sometimes when I pass by Mommy Nora's, um, for those of you who know where the chicken place is, I will literally begin to well up in tears because I cannot tell you the amount of time that at um, that stoplight, I would just find myself crying as I was leaving work going back to North Raleigh. So sometimes like I'll go there to get chicken and I'm like, I am, I am crying while I'm waiting for my chicken. Because it's, it's, it's like an Ebenezer, um, like a, rem, a, a reminder of like, oh, there was a real sad season in my life. And interestingly enough, um, as I was working with a therapist during that season, there were two um, kind of um, stories within Scripture that brought me lots of comfort. 
The first one was um, that of the Exodus narrative and the Israelites collecting manna because every single day I just have to be like, God, I, I've got to cling to whatever feels like it might give me some life. The other passage that actually brought me comfort was this one. Ooh, see, I feel it. Because for the first time ever, I felt like I was just like in an impossible situation. I could not keep my family together. That anchor was untethered. The person that I loved, loved somebody else, was going to marry somebody else. I wasn't going to get what I thought I was going to get. And quite honestly, work, and I love y'all, work just made me always feel like I was going to be on the precipice of failure. And for most of my life, things had fairly been, I am great, I am good, I am happy, I say nice things, God does good things, <laughs> we're great. But this season wasn't like that. I could not put the pieces together no matter how hard I tried. I remember telling my therapist at one point in time, okay, listen, I'm going to go through Lent and I'm going to be sad during Lent, but in Easter, I need to be happy. And she was like, it don't work like that. <laughs> she was like, sadness will leave when sadness chooses to leave. I was not pleased. But this idea of walking up a mountain and having all of these things in my life kind of like just so untethered, I was like, is Abraham saying what Abraham believes or what Abraham is pleading God will provide? God will provide. Now, I will say I did not think that God was testing me in that season, but I felt like life was definitely testing me in that season. Not to prove how much I loved God or to prove how much I was willing to let go of to show my love for God. But I did feel like, oh, there are ups and downs in this relationship with the one who is divine. And there are going to be some moments when things do not feel clear with the divine. And there are going to be some moments when life feels impossible. And that season also revealed not just God's vulnerability and covenant relationship, but my vulnerability. Because for years I had been telling people, trust, trust. God loves you. God will be with you. Cling to your hope. Grace and mercy will follow you all the days of your life. <laughs> all of Scripture is a love story. And in the midst of the complexity, I had to hyper-focus on, okay, God will provide. So as you begin to read Scripture... And maybe in those moments when you're like, I do not recognize this God. You can get curious. Or remind yourself of the arc of who God is. 
alongside this particular passage that was appointed for the day, Genesis chapter 22, was also Psalm 13 to remind us of the ark of God. You have heard this story, which was difficult, but I'm going to invite you to close your eyes as you feel led or comfortable. That we can also be the kind of people who ask God hard questions when God feels unrecognizable. How long, O oh Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I bear pain in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all day long? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord, my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep the sleep of death. And my enemy will say, I have prevailed. My foes will rejoice because I am shaken. But I trusted and I trust in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because God has dealt bountifully with me. God has dealt bountifully with me. Gracious God, even in the midst of uncertainty, might we trust that you will deal bountifully with us. All this we pray in your strong name. Amen.